This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. I'll start tonight with a, it's a classic story, but I don't remember all the details, so I'll tell my version of it. Hopefully we'll get to the same place. There was a man who lived with his three children. And one day, he discovered that there was a gas leak in their house. And he could do the math. He could see that, one, that there was absolutely nothing he could do to stop it. And two, that sooner or later, the house would catch fire and completely disappear. So he he went to his three children and he said, this house is as good as gone. It's going to blow. We need to get out of the house now. And the kids, because they were kids, they ignored him. They couldn't quite grasp the implications of what he was saying. They couldn't understand those consequences. They couldn't see the stakes. And so the oldest child sat and talked on the phone and the youngest sat and played video games and the third sat and played with with toys and he thought about this and then he ran to the window looked out the window and then went back to the oldest to the teenager who was on the phone and said hey 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 your um your boyfriend is standing on the lawn across the street I don't know, he just looks really serious. He's kind of pacing. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Boom. The oldest child was gone. (laughs) Went straight out the door. And so then the father went to the, the child who was playing video games and said, you know how you always complain about how the ice cream truck comes by and I never get you ice cream? And the kid's, Yeah. I said, well, I have it on uh, very good authority that the ice cream truck will be coming in two minutes. But I need to find my money. So what I need you to do, you need to go stand outside and you need to stop the ice cream truck for me. You need to go out there and wait for the ice cream truck. Can you do that? He said, yes. Ran out the door. And then he went to the third, was playing with toys, and said, hey, our next-door neighbor just got a kitten. And said, you can play with the kitten any time you want. You want to go look? Gone. Out the door. And then the father followed them out. And the house burned to the ground. Everyone was alive. This story, in a slightly less modern version has been used for centuries to illustrate skillful means, or upaya, which is the paramita that's on the table for tonight. And it's it's fairly straightforward story. The house is your situation. 
you're suffering in ways that you can't even see or understand. And the punchline is that you're going to die. And what the Father does is he recognizes that each person needs to be met in a different way in order to get them to where they need to be. Provisionally. What they really need to do is they need to understand what's going on inside the house. But it's too big a leap for them in that moment. They can't grasp it. It, The the danger seems invisible. So he says, okay, well, just for now, we'll make it good enough. We'll get you to where, where you have an opportunity to understand. This is a paramita or a perfection that's really about lying. Or, or maybe more carefully said, it's manipulating other people for their benefit. Which sounds very cool and is a very dangerous thing to get involved in. This mindset, the mindset behind the story, the mindset that brings us this notion of skillful means in that kind of simple form is still very strong in Asia. And when I lived in Japan, I saw it all the time. I would go to a talk by a teacher where the only people attending were monks. And it would be a very interesting talk. (laughs) And then the same day in the afternoon, I would see that same teacher give a talk to only lay people. And it would not be an interesting talk because the mindset, the belief was, well, they're lay people. They can't possibly understand what we're talking about. They can't grasp the Dharma. But we can talk to them about neighborliness. We can talk to them about being good grandkids. And we can give them tasks that bring them to the temple over and over again. And if they come to the temple enough, they might start to kind of soak it up a little bit. I used to give talks at temples, and I was criticized always by the monks who were there because they would say, they would say, it's too hard. What you're telling them is too hard. They won't get it. <laughs> and I reject that. And... And fundamentally, I recognize both in that context and in this one that skillful means as a traditional aspect of teaching is something I'm not good at. I'm just not. I, my understanding of sitting here, my role, my function is simply to be honest with you and with myself. And so I don't... When I imagine trying to kind of steer you a little bit because you seem to have this issue, that feels dishonest to me. But I say that acknowledging that some people are very good at it. I think some people they can do that kind of surgically. I'm, I'm a much more blunt instrument than that. <laughs>
This is all in the interest of full disclosure. So part of that is me and my own limitations. But part of that, I think, has to do with this tradition and how this tradition treats this whole idea of skillful means. In some parts of the Buddhist world, there's a hierarchy of practices and there are hierarchies of teachings. And there's an idea that, well, this is what you do when you're a beginner. And then this is intermediate. And this is advanced. And in that world, then, all of those stages are in themselves skillful means. Right? You're handing someone a way to get from A to B. And then you're saying, well, if you do this, you'll get from B to C. And on and on and on. So there's a goal, and the goal is very clear. But in this practice, that's not the case. And so to try to steer you in a particular way would be, well, it would be counterproductive. I'll share one more story. It's one that I heard on a radio program just recently. I thought this was so interesting. It was a profile of a woman whose mother has Alzheimer's. And if you have experience of this in your life, I have some. It's, it's hard day to day to know what to say. Because someone whom you know very well, or knew very well, and love is not really seeing the same world that you're seeing and isn't remembering the same world that you're remembering. And what happens is that you find yourself in these conversations where you're saying, no, 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 grandpa died. Or no, you don't live there anymore, you live with us. Or, or no, I'm your grandson. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> you're always saying... Remember who you are. Right? Remember your story. And that's a very clear reflection of, of a Western psychological notion of what health is. Right? We're supposed to know our story and we're supposed to hold to it. And that's what makes us real. And so according to this radio program, and I, I sense this is true from my dealings with it, the... not the treatment, but the, the prescribed response to these things, is to create reminders for people all the time of who they are. Right? You create structure and you put signs on the wall that says, today is September 15th. Right? And, and your husband died. <laughs> right? These kinds of things. So there are these constant touchstones with the story of who these people were. And in that model, then, success has to do with when, when you have a moment of clarity about that story. Right? And you have five minutes or half an hour in which the person remembers the things that you want them to remember. Right? Or knows where they are right now. And then they fade back away, but you say, oh, that was good. Well, in this, this radio program, this woman was an actress. She and her husband were, were actors. And she just had this revelation one day that what her grandmother was doing, or what her mother was doing all the time, was asking her, was inviting her to do 
improv. And in the world of improv, and I've done a little bit of this too, you, you never say no. So you're standing on a stage with another person and say, go, and the other person starts cooking. Well, that means you're in a kitchen, right? You don't get to say, no, 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 we're not going to do the kitchen thing right now because I want to do the we're in a spaceship thing, right? You're in a kitchen. You're stuck with it. You have to get, go with that. And what she d- d- decided was, I'm going to change the way I'm dealing with my mother. I'm going to roll with whatever she says. I'm not going to say, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to say, no, you're remembering that incorrectly. I'm going to say, okay. And so they started having these conversations where her, her mother would, would see monkeys out the window. And she and her husband would say, oh, yeah, well, they're early this year. Right? And then her husband got really good at, at pushing it a little bit. And he'd say, oh, yeah, well, you know, this year I was thinking maybe we could catch one. It'd be great to catch a monkey, wouldn't it? Maybe we could catch a monkey and we could get the monkey into our house and we could live with a monkey. We could have a pet monkey. And in these exchanges, the mother would start, sometimes, not every time, to start to see what was going on. Not, not in its totality, not even necessarily to understand who it was these people were that she was talking to, but, she, but to see that something was absurd, right? And she'd start laughing. And she'd recognize that they were having a ridiculous conversation and that you can't catch a monkey and put it in your house. That's crazy. And she'd laugh and they would have these wonderful times with her. But at the same time, what was happening was that they kept pointing her back to her mind. It's a really, it was a really generous approach. And also, according to the daughter, terribly painful. Because part of her mother's story is her, right? And some days her mother didn't know who she was. Sometimes her mother would say, you're just some person I took in. And she'd, she'd have to pause and take a breath and say, yeah, thanks for doing that. And let go of her own story. This, to me seems like a better illustration in some ways of how skillful means can work in this tradition. It's not based on the idea that there's something you can't understand or that you don't understand or that you're not ready for. There are no secret teachings. There's nothing behind the curtain. It's just simply about meeting someone where they are. And then, hopefully, starting to point them back to their own mind. And you can see this over and over in the stories that sustain this tradition. They're they're all about, they're not about lying, they're about deflecting. So the student comes and says, What is enlightenment? And the teacher says, there's a cat on the fence. And the student 
has to go looking. You might go look for the cat on the fence. But somewhere in that process is starting to understand what they're trying to achieve. But they're never having it handed to them. Ever. Or another example would be when the student comes to the teacher and says, Oh my gosh, I had the most amazing spiritual experience of my life. I was sitting in Zazen and the world completely fell away. And I found myself in that moment connected to all beings. As if I had tendrils coming out of my heart and touching everyone. And the teacher will look at that student and say, Oh, you have something right there on your, on the side of your mouth. You have a little crumb. Okay. It's not no, but it's not yes. It's, it's, it's a twist. My, I practiced karate for a long time. I haven't for many years, but my, my teacher died last week. This was kind of big news to me, so I've been thinking about him. I'm thinking about how frustrating it was to practice with him, because what he would do, this is over the course of years, was... He would say, for example, you know, you have your arm like this, and for years he would come by and he'd push it this way. And you would finally integrate that information, and you'd, you'd really get it, and you'd do it just the way you thought that he wanted you to do it. And one day he'd walk up and he'd look at you and he'd say, he'd say what are you doing? And he'd push it way back. Ah! And everyone had this experience over and over and over again. You think, I got it. And in that moment that you thought you got it, he'd say, that looks terrible. And he'd start you over here. And then you'd be over here for a while, and then he'd push you back over here. But you could see that the people who had been doing this for 20 years or for 30 years or 40 years, they weren't being pushed that way anymore. Not so much. Because they had found for themselves where the middle was. He was never going to say, it's here, (laughs) ever. He was going to say, try this. No, try this. No, try this. No, try this. Your job is to see what's, what's happening in between. That's really hard. It's hard to receive it, and it's hard to give it. Because as the person receiving it, you never get get full credit. And as the person giving it, you know that your relationship with the other person is to frustrate that person. All the time. It's no fun to do that. It's no fun to be that person. It's like me with my kids being the person who always says no. Nobody wants to be the bad guy. Sometimes you want to say, that's perfect. But in my experience, in this practice, no one's ever going to say, that's perfect. It's kind of a spoiler alert. I'm really interested in the idea of skillful means. And 
we could talk about this for a long time, but I'll, I'll leave it on this note because I think As I said earlier, it's, it's manipulating people for their benefit. That means there are various ways to manipulate people. <laughs> right. And one of the things that we can ask ourselves as we explore this in our own lives is where we are manipulating people and why. <laughs> if we're doing it for them or if we're doing it for our own convenience, If we're doing it because we can, are you doing it to yourself? Do you trick yourself? And if so, in service of what? Like I said at the beginning, it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing to get involved in. But underneath it, it's a, there's a generosity. <laughs> and that's the part, I think, to explore. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.